Hey, everybody. You might be noticing you're getting this episode a little early today, which means that you still have time, if you're in New York, to come out to Littlefield in Brooklyn, 635 Sackett Street, right here in beautiful Gowanus, and see Amber and the Pot About List Boys and DM Patches all have some fun, playing some games, doing some jokes, hanging out with you, all to support the Kentucky Health Justice Network. Uh, fun piece of Chapo lore. Uh, Littlefield is actually the place where almost exactly five years ago I uh, encountered Matt Chrisman after a Chapo show, uh, leaned into him and said, hey, great show. Uh, I'm that guy who occasionally DMs you about uh, doing producing work. And he replied, well, that's very interesting because our old producer is leaving like yesterday. And the rest was history. Uh, will that happen to you if you came out tonight? No, you would have to pry Adobe Audition out of my cold, dead hands because I am never giving this shit up. Uh, but maybe you can get Amber to yell at you in person or uh, convince Caleb to let you rub that beautiful, shiny chrome dome of his. Uh, so come out tonight. Littlefield, Brooklyn, 635 Sackett Street, Door 7, Show 8. Support Kentucky Health Justice Network, a member of the National Network of Abortion Funds. It's all for a good cause. Have fun. Friends of Chapa will be there. Ticket link in the show description. Probably a few more tickets left at the door. Anyway, on with the show. Even stamp the guy's balls with ice picks. Okay, I will, yeah, I always like that scene because he he's like, here's like this Irish piece of shit came in. He like robbed the bar. And here's the worst part: he killed a girl on her day off. <laughs> a poor waitress like it would have been like working out a day off of all things. Like it would have been like not as bad if she wasn't like <laughs> if she was like originally on that shift. Hey, then that was your time. <laughs> you had it coming. It's just like such a stupid morality. Well, yeah, that's the best part is watching those guys try on the fly to, like, create morality that excludes, like, their b behavior of any section, <laughs> but allows them to judge everybody else. It's very funny. Like those cops that shot a guy just because he had a sandwich in his hand? Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah their families deserve here. to die. What the fuck is a hero sandwich? Oh, hello. Uh, you know, fun fact about that, uh, the, vice, the, ice, the vice scene where he pops his eye out. So, Scorsese absolutely knew that they were going to get destroyed by the, uh, by the MPAA. Because, like, the whole point of Casino was it was going to be the most... It was like, this is why the sausage gets made, mafia style. And so, to, anticipating that, they actually included several uh, practical gore shots that they had no intention of keeping in the movie, including a shot of, uh, of uh, Tony Dog's eyeball popping when they do the vice so like on his head. So, it just shoots out, yeah. It shoots out and pops. And they weren't going to put that in the movie, but they put it in the version they showed the MPAA, and they were like, yeah, this is obviously NC-17, and you got to get rid of this, 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 and that. And, uh, the, and it was all stuff, mostly stuff, that was put in intentionally uh, to, like, freak out the NPAA so that when they removed it, they're okay with, you know, them getting beaten up in the field and, you know, and everything else. Uh, they could ice picks in the balls. Yep, they could show yep. that. Actually, Matt, you, you bring this up. It's funny. I just read this morning that Boz Lerman did a similar thing with Elvis. There were multiple scenes in the movie of Elvis going, well, I don't know about Christmas. I don't like Christmas no more. But that was considered, they were like, <laughs> you have to take this out of the movie. And they were, you know, but 
it was good because they're you know like I mean it it, it it does communicate the message that Elvis was sick Elvis of doing hates Christmas. He was sick of doing Christmas music. Yeah, but it, it wouldn't NC seventeen if if the King had said I'm, I'm tired of Rudolph. I don't like him no more. <laughs> I don't like this guy Rudolph. They wouldn't have been able to show the movie in Florida. That's no, for sure. Yeah. Santas would have put down the uh, interdict. Well, hello. It's Chapo. It's Wednesday, August 10th. That's right, folks. It's the most important day on the calendar. It's my a birthday. 63 years young, still going strong, still, still imbued with a lust for life. And what's the best birthday present of all? It's that I'm once again in the same room with mon frères, Matt and Felix. Boys, let's go. He's a loving Leo lion, folks. That's right. A lovable, lovable lug. A lovable Leo lug. But, you know... Uh, birthday aside, the news don't stop. Events just keep happening. Let's kick off things today. Boys, feds did a sweep. Yeah. No, I, it turns out I was right, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you were correct. 100%. I was completely right. Like, <laughs> anybody who went crazy with that's like, come on, man. Have you not been paying attention? Well, like, what, the moment that Trump said, oh, they raided me, they turned everything upside down, I was like, oh, it was probably four guys who were like, can we have a box? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like literally what it, it was one car. Yeah. One car with like four guys in polo shirts in it who were like, can you give us the box of the files? And he was like, okay. Yeah. And there was an investigation about improperly removing classified documents for the White House. There's probably like birthday cards from <laughs> yeah. fucking, uh, from Angela Merkel or something. It's like absolutely anodyne. It's, it's, it's the lowest of low-hanging fruit, but they got to keep you hogs invested to the midterms. Yeah, they made it sound like like they d- Trump was like spending time with his family, and then a flashbang came in through the window. <laughs> they, like, they like shot Baron. Yeah, like a dog. I, yeah, I, you know. I have friends like Melania Trump. She'd spit on the floor. She'd spit on her own floor. That never made any sense to me. Uh, they are claiming that the feds went through Melania's clothes, though. Oh my god, a little, violation! Little nice little. <laughs> woo! Polly Walnuts action. Yeah. A uh, uh, sort of a strong bouquet. So feds did a sweep. And by the way, like if any of you guys still have any documents from the National Archives, now would be a good time to get rid of them because you know, they're, of. they're rolling everyone up in the box hunt. This is the like. <laughs> the, so I've when you are somebody who's like you're a level, you have to be the level above Duke Cunningham. That's the level I figured yeah. out. The level above Duke Cunningham is a level where you're like you can't die in a car accident. Yep. You can't like go down for like a normal crime. Yep. You can't like generally that's the level of protected mm-hmm. where the only crime you can ever be investigated for never charged with, by the way, like if you're an elected, you never actually get charged with this. It's doing a boring thing with documents. Mm-hmm. It's that you you got like semi classified material and you put it in the wrong folder. Yeah. And they only do that if you annoyed them. Right. Yes, it's just it's shaking the tree and just letting you know like we have these me- mechanisms in place to to make you play ball. That's it. Uh, it says here Trump broke the news of the raid himself, complaining in a statement Monday evening that the unannounced raid was not necessary or appropriate, and the FBI agents even broke into my safe. Folks, if the FBI can do that, if the FBI can do that to Donald Trump, they can do it to anyone. It's true. We should all be very afraid. That was that's the best that's argument. My favorite. I've seen that's my favorite yeah, argument. Yeah. Oh, if they can do it to if they can do it to him, they're gonna do it to you. It's like they do do it to you. Yeah, they do exactly. it to like everyone else in yeah. the world. Yeah. yeah, no, it's like I'm sorry. Uh, uh, the beauty of not having to care about January sixth is that I don't have to care that the FBI raided Mar a Lago and fret about it and, and think that it's some uh, some transgression of norms. I, I guess like you know, like in the reactions to this, uh the, the most enervating part is that now everyone has to like uh, 
sort of reform um, their takes on the FBI based on whether it's good or bad, based on the person it's doing it to. And, you know, my attitude about the FBI is like basically every institution of American government. It is not possible, even if it wanted to, of doing good things yeah. to produce good outcomes. Nope. However, it can produce funny things. It can do funny things true. that lead to funny outcomes. Like the fact that they've got one of their uh, FBI uh, school shooter groomers talking in discords to Barron every day. That's very funny. <laughs> But no, I've, I've I've been reading. I mean, obviously the uh, the the Trump people are they're losing their minds over this, so they're pretending to to like or you know because it's like they, they, they're, it's they're making a good show of it. They're it's playing they're playing the it's part K-Fabe, that they, baby. they've cast themselves in, which is you know um, sort of the defender of the republic. And you know if, if if the FBI can can get a box from Donald Trump's house without even announcing that they were coming to get the box, I mean if he, if they had told them hey we're coming to get the box, kiss your box goodbye, folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, if you have, if you have like if you've got um, like a, a memo commemorating Brent Skullcroft's service to the State <laughs> Department that you accidentally took from your job like three years ago, and you put it in your gross desk that has like seven thousand dollars worth of Sudafed in it, you're you're going down. You're gonna have to go to a boring congressional hearing that actually you don't have to go to <laughs> that you can just skip and like nothing will happen uh, Trump actually did just plead the fifth today in New York federal court I think over his tax records or yeah. whatever on advice of counsel I'm pleading the fifth okay uh, it's a good one but basically I'm like, like half of the uh, media reactions to the uh, the feds doing a raid on Trump that I've seen even from like uh, basically all just admitted that like yeah like what he did is illegal but if he's prosecuted for it it could destroy the republic yeah it's amazing how few people really get their minds around the idea that if you have if you are saying that you cannot politicize law enforcement by going after political perpetrators once they reach a certain uh office then you are making it permissible to do whatever you want because it's a political office you know it's a partisan office so any investigation of it will be perceived as a partisan by people who are on the side of uh that person like there's no getting away from that they want some world where they can like have a federal government that can regulate the behavior of people like the president but that does not trigger like a partisan response that might undermine the institutions that these people fetishize but i'm sorry we're long past that point like all of these institutions have been fully politicized so the only question is do you prosecute crime when you see it or not uh, I do like I did like a lot of the reaction from uh, the MAGA people that were just sort of like, where is DeSantis on all this? DeSantis, DeSantis let this happen. You know, like he he he, he's he gave back him, there. He he's, gave him the backdoor key to Mar-a-Lago. Yeah. We, I like the idea that it's like DeSantis let it happen. Like he's Walter Frey and he controls the only bridge <laughs> into Florida. <laughs> <laughs> he, controls, he controls the main land routes across the Florida pan, the Panama yeah. City panhandle. He's, he like makes Chris Ray marry his son to his daughter. <laughs> He's like, okay, now you can go into Florida and, and take Donald Trump's box of documents. <laughs> you can take Donald Trump's box of documents if you marry my ugliest daughter. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, if I'm DeSantis, I'm of two minds about this. It's like, obviously, your fingers crossed they bring him down. But if you're not a complete moron, you don't think that's likely to actually happen. But uh, at the same time, you know, uh, him getting raided makes him more of a G. And that is not an argument to not do it, like, abstractly. First of all, who cares? I mean, we have no, no say in it, but... You can't argue, oh, his supporters, they are verif- they, they like him more when something like this happens. It's like, yeah, no shit. That's why they're, they're his supporters. Like, they're not movable. That's the whole point of them. Like, fretting about how, uh, how any action uh, 
you know, reflects on Trump's supporters is meaningless, unless you're a guy like DeSantis who's going to have to run against him. And he's going to have to contrive a situation where the feds raid him before they start running yeah. against each other if he wants to be competitive. Uh, I, I saw someone say, like, he was he like, used to, like, put CP on the government <laughs> uh, computer network in Tallahassee. <laughs> and then, like, go dime himself out to the FBI and then say, this is a political witch hunt. And, of course, every QAnon dipshit would believe that instantly. Yeah, they get people just doing escalating federal crimes. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's like it it it's like drill. Like you it, it you can't run for a Republican nomination unless you spent like five years in federal prison. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're not making it on the ballot if you don't have a teardrop tattoo. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they need to spin the block in front of the, front of the FBI offices. They need to go op hunting in, in, the, in, in the Herbert Hoover building. <laughs> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Your Hoover building. Florida Re- Governor Ron DeSantis today. Um, uh, fired 15 rounds of an air 15 into the uh, into the FBI headquarters. That would be very funny if he did that. You um, well, no, like, uh, speaking of that, I, I did see one reaction that was just like, DeSantis literally has an army at his disposal. Like, why weren't they deployed to stop four guys in polo shirts from finding a box in Trump's closet or something? I love that idea, though. I would love to see, like, a phalanx like an armored division of villages golf yeah. carts, mm-hmm. just like 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 a, a real siege standoff with the yeah, feds. like the classic the lager uh, technique of of like the Hungarian and Ottoman armies, where you like you get your troops, you line them up with like wagons. Only in this case, golf carts. They would be impenetrable. Do they mean the National Guard? I yeah, think, I think they mean the Florida National. The Florida Guard, National yeah. Guard. That's yeah. like that's all guys who like wanted to get a molar taken out. <laughs> they're not like they're not like if you run a car. Yeah, like a guy who won <laughs> the, a guy who run who won like forty nine point seven percent versus forty nine point three percent is not going to command them to start a civil war. Felix, <laughs> like, 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 hey, yeah. hey, you know, hey, hi, uh, you know, you joined the National Guard so that you could sell uh, your wife's Tupperware MLMs to them to your fellow soldiers yeah now you have to go die for the government <laughs> yeah, you have to, you have to you go have... eat lead from a fucking apache uh, uh attack helicopter yeah you have to kill these four guys in polo shirts and then you have to get tallahassee nuked <laughs> <laughs> like all all because it's like you you like seven years ago you're like ooh, a dodge viper uh felix remember the scene in dune where they're on the uh the sarukar planet and they're doing the throat singing ritual and there's just like there's like this like uh like hill of just bodies just exsanguinated draining blood into like a giant pool that they use to sort yeah. of like a uh, ritualized little guard it's like and then just their like sort of sweat runs off into a big pool <laughs> yeah they mix it in with uh, the raisin cane sauce <laughs> and now you're ready to uh, die for yep, uh, you're ready to die this. for the governor well actually um speaking of um loyalty and people willing to uh, die for dear leader a uh, great article in the Washington post uh, this this is like uh, summarizing a book that just came about came out about uh Trump and his relationship to his beautiful, handsome his generals. Beautiful generals. He said a headline: Trump wanted loyal generals like Hitler's. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, God, it's so good. It's because like the way he acts, it's like it designed to specifically trigger people, like like liberals in a way. Like he's not Hitler; he can't do Hitler stuff, but he can say exactly what a guy who wanted to do Hitler stuff would say. <laughs> So you can just keep reading it and getting more and more freaked out every time you hear a new yeah. one of these amazing quotes. Yeah, it's like January 6th being like an attempted coup. I mean, yeah. like in by the standards of language, absolutely. Yep. By the standards of th- they had no plan. And then on January 5th, 
like someone someone in his office watched Bush v. Gore on HBO and was like, oh, we need James. We need a James Baker guy. Yeah. And then like they all assumed another guy would find yeah, one. They figured there'd be one guy who'd like figure out the paperwork. Oh, yeah. Now he gets to be president forever. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. We need to we need to we need to just we need to go into the Capitol and have like a waterhead spree until someone finds James Baker. <laughs> Uh, reading here in the Washington Post, it says, uh, Former President Donald Trump has proved time and uh, time and again that he is no student of history, despite citing the past with the regularity of a thunderstorm on a Sunday, after, Sunday uh, summer afternoon. The latest example comes from The New Yorker, which has published an excerpt from Peter Baker and Susan Glazer's bu- upcoming book, The Divider, Trump in the White House, 2017-2021, focused on Trump's troubles with the military men in his administration, whom he once referred to as my generals. At one point, according to the book, he complained to his chief of staff, John F. Kelly, a former Marine general, asking why he and others couldn't be totally loyal to him, like the German generals in World War II. You do know that they tried to kill Hitler three times and almost pulled it off, Kelly allegedly responded. So were Adolf Hitler's generals yes-men, or did they really plot to assassinate him three times and get close once? Well, yeah. If you've seen the movie Valkyrie starring Tom Cruise, God, I would love a Valkyrie-style movie about John F. Kelly in the White House. Failing to assassinate Trump. <laughs> failing to, wait a minute, failing to resign. Yeah, failing yeah. to resign. <laughs> wow. Oh, man. I want them to be, I want them to be totally, totally. He's, I want them to be loyal. He, like, did he see the, the downfall clip and was just like, that's how I want I generals to, to be. I want everybody to listen when I'm talking. <laughs> that's probably, that's literally it. He probably saw that like, oh, they were like still afraid of Hitler. Yeah. <laughs> and of course, John Kelly, like they tried to assassinate a few times. It's like, yes, there were a few groups of German officers who came together at various times to try to got, get Hitler. The Stauffenberg plot is the most uh, serious one that did almost get him. But it's not like that's the average German general. They all fucking went along with it. They were all loyal enough. Well, yeah, as were Trump's generals to him. They were loyal enough. And then then, uh, Kelly gets to fantasize, well, I'd be Stauffenberg. It's like, dude, look at you. You aren't. You're Borman. You're Borman, (laughs) dude. You fucking idiot. I know it's not the same thing because everything is not more. You know, it's not the the intense drama of fascism. It's just this boring technocratic death machine. But you are in the same spot relative to everybody else as he was. You're not Stauffenberg, bro. Uh, there was another. There's another. Uh, like, there's another excerpt from this book, or another thing that came out uh, this week. I saw. I saw Jake Tapper very indignantly tweeting about it. But it was another thing with like John Kelly just being like Trump's personal like cum sock, like just soaking up all of his just, just like all of his just oafish. The fact that his kid died in the war too is just oh, it's like you couldn't write that. You yeah. couldn't write it to have this like jet, this guy who like lived and breathed his whole life this notion of american service and even sent his son in to do it and had him get murked in this pointless fucking war and then he gets to command to be like the 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 human footstool for this just grotesque creature no it's like makes everything he's ever cared about meaningless. (laughs) and what does he do does he because like in real drama he would kill him yeah yeah yeah. like that's like the south korean dude he'd fucking just murk him he would do something honorable but because we live in this fucking world that doesn't have the dignity of, of fiction, it's just this pathetic loser who just every day takes it and just shrinks into, into a husk until all he cares about is getting media suck-offs to believe that he's somebody else. Yeah, yeah he gave his son's life so he could tell Meredith Vieira about the process of writing his book <laughs> that he didn't even write. Like, God, just, like it's just Skype call nauseating. The- <laughs> it's just like, yeah. oh, at that level, like, they have taken your soul in a meaningful way. How do you not kill yourself? <laughs> like, 
how are you because not- it's not there like whatever yeah. we're talking about when we talk about what it is to be a human being the experience of pursuing that life you don't know it's gone you still think it's there it's like a hollow echoing that you have to reaffirm by getting other people to affirm that it's there like media yeah. suck-offs but it's uh, gone yeah and, and you'll probably- never get it back there's probably like some like some like small part of him that's like oh by writing this book yeah. you prevent of him course. from being president of course. again. <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah. there, that's always it. There's always this pathetic self justification, but over the years it just gets more flimsy and pathetic and ridiculous until yeah you just have your old grotesque falling apart body and just a complete legacy of ashes. Well, the uh, the, the the example including your about sons. An, an, <laughs> uh, the John, another John. Another load that John Kelly had to take on his face was when Trump won. Remember when he wanted to do the military parade right yeah. after he got yeah. elected? It's <laughs> like, sir, <laughs> the streets are not graded for Abrams tanks. Uh, the fucking the, 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 the pavement is just going to be flying. <laughs> well, apparently um, Trump was uh, demanding that there be no injured soldiers in the parade because he was like, <laughs> they make me look bad. And apparently John Kelly said to him, he said, sir, in our society there is only one group of people more heroic than these men that you see here. They're buried at Arlington Cemetery and Trump was like, don't want them. Look, you make me look bad. Losers. <laughs> hobbling around. I don't want you know, the losers. Want, you want to see their cool RoboCop limbs? And, yep. You know, fuck. God That's damn. what you were fighting for, John. That's what <laughs> yeah, it was all gave for. everything to that. You yep. gave yourself and your family's bloodline to this just machinery of, of, of monstrosity. <laughs> To, to exalt the worst in us and to deify well, it. Congratulations. Uh, I mean, well, I mean, there's been a bunch of good Trump stuff lately because uh, he was CPAC. Unfortunately, we did not get to go to CPAC this year. In, ba- we were, in Dallas. Yeah, no, no. In, instead, of, instead of doing hallucinogens at uh, a Dallas convention center watching Victor Orban start World War III, <laughs> we were on psychedelics at uh, Pickathon listening yeah. to uh, Jizza, the genius. That was a better use of time. Yeah, I, I think that say. was a psychologically a healthier experience. By the way, everyone, I just want to just apologize once again for you know Felix not being a pickathon, and I'm really just feel bad for Felix. I know how gutted you were that you couldn't be <laughs> at all the out, outside all day listening to music. Well, like standing the, the around thing, <laughs> talking about music, listening to music, you you really missed out, dude. Well, the I'm thing sorry. about me is like I love live music so much. I don't care who's playing. I just like the experience of live music so much that I'll go to any show. <laughs> I go to 20 shows a week just because I like the live music experience of standing around and like seeing if the bathroom is usable so much. Well, I, was, I like looking for four ounces of water. Okay, well, I will See, say this no, about Pickathon. I will say this about Pickathon. Both of those fronts. Okay. Pickathon was they had immaculately won. Okay. And they had free water everywhere. Yeah, there was, there was, okay, there was drinking okay. water. There was free cold drinking water everywhere. The 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 the, the porta potty facilities like I never waited online for more Not than for a, a second. For a Thirty and it was seconds. Clean. It was, there was yeah. no bog. Yeah. Woodstock ninety nine <laughs> style. I will say this though. Yes, good facilities, good water, but there still was just a critical mass of music heads. I think that would have been the real problem. Yeah, I just that's a lot of music heads. Yeah, I'm. Why are you learning all those notes? For? <laughs> are you gonna hear? You gonna make a song? Guess what? No one's gonna buy it. <laughs> and that guitar, how much did that cost? Ten thousand dollars. <laughs> now you're in the hole. <laughs> how many people uh, bought your thing on Bandcamp, buddy? Uh, well, I, I will say another thing about Pickathon. It was a, uh, it was an extremely family friendly environment. There were lots of kids there, so I think Felix, I felt a little bit more comfortable knowing that these were sort of moderate, responsible music users rather than problem. They were able to balance a life of music and family. I would say that's the least responsible music user is someone who's, they have to bring their family there. Like if you like went to a crack den 
and there were a bunch of kids there. You're like, oh, good. These are like responsible crack users. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, kids. yeah, it's true. Yeah, they were. I mean, like, look, the kids actually, the kids had like a uh, sort of like earmuffs on. So, okay. I mean, they weren't letting their kids smoke crack. They okay. weren't letting them listen to music. Yeah, all know. right, all right. They were just, you know, they were just there. Yeah. And so, they like, were yeah, vibing. Actually, I would describe Pickathon as the most family friendly event in the world where you can also be offered mushrooms within 30 seconds of asking for That's them. That's true. That's a good combo. It was a uh, shout out uh, Alexander, by the way. Uh, I said I would do that, and uh, they treated us wonderfully. But uh, no, moving moving on, uh, I just want to talk about Trump at CPAC for a minute. I mean, it was just the comment he made about how former White House doctor and now congressperson <laughs> Ronnie Jackson loved looking at my body. He loved, he loved looking. He said he, he loved, loved looking at my body, and he was calling him out. He the, the Ronnie Jackson was standing up in the crowd, beaming as Trump was talking about how he was the best doctor in the world because he quote loved looking at my body and said I was the healthiest president of all time. And he, he's like, and I was first, I was like, who is this guy? I don't know who this guy is, but I like this guy. He loves my body. <laughs> I know I'm like, it's, it's, it's an oft abused joke on this show, but like, I just would entreat you, the listener along with Matt and Felix to seriously consider what it would be like to look just to gaze oh. on Trump's nude body. I think I would need would a camera. I would need a camera obscura. <laughs> I would need to look through a pinhole in a shoebox if I wanted to look at that. I don't. I, it seems like it would be a non-Euclidean space, just like this tessellation of 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 bulges, and well, just pale white, like ooh, just fish belly white, like that entire chapter of Moby Dick about the terror of whiteness, he, right there on his horrifying torso. Ronnie Jackson was the guy who was like, when he would do his exams, would be like, not only is his like heartbeat the best I've ever seen. He's in the best shape ever. I thought like he could pass for a 51 year old man. And then as the second that happened, he gets nationally known for giving this, uh, this diagnosis. He just like eats a bunch of pills and drives a car to a fucking bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Immediately. The first hint of any kind of notoriety and entrance into the news cycle. Hey, a little bit. Hey, this guy, Ronnie Jackson, he thinks Trump's a stud. Immediately got clock smash, <laughs> and then of course because this is the world that Trump has made, it's like uh, I'm not going to resign in disgrace. I'm going to run for fucking Congress, and now I'm in Congress. I'm yeah. one of your Congress people. Fuck you. Well, I, I I liked him because before he was Trump's doctor, he was just known as this guy in like who is I guess like a military doctor, but like was known as like a doctor feel good. Yeah, he was the guy, he was, <laughs> which is he was awesome. a Nick Riviera style guy. He would give out the, he would give out, he would write out any prescription you want. And so what a shock that they come to him to, to say, we need you to say that the president's body is perfect. It'll be like, no problem, dude. Yeah, no, I've been it was saying his, shit for years. It was his Dr. Spichemin. Yep. <laughs> you are going to die. What? No. When I tell you who I'm dating, squeaky from, she is, difficult and now he's in congress being a doctor feel good for like the pentagon is so that that's what i the best i can surmise his role was before yeah. trump found him yeah like some guys are planning uh <laughs> but trump know. really was like hitler he was getting shot up with fucking speed and delouded and shit <laughs> yeah. like like he comes in like it's 2000 it's the summer of 2002 and, and and he comes into a room and there's a bunch of guys in uniforms plotting the assassination of uh shah masood and they're fucking getting, sh- he's shooting them up all with fe- uh, amphetamines. He knows where the bodies are buried, which is why they let him just drive that car wherever he wants. Yeah, yeah. For, for like a guy working in the E-ring, I don't think you're giving him like Vicodin. That's like a little trashy. Mm. I think you're giving, like, there is medicinal cocaine that yeah. you can get. 
I think it's like more fun stuff like that, like more uppers. Oh yeah, no, they're all on uppers. They're playing. Yeah. They're, they're 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 throwing shit at the wall. I mean, you got How do you get a situation like in Syria where the CIA uh, troop, the CIA proxies, are shooting it out with the DOD proxies? That's cocaine, right there. Yeah, yeah. No, how, do yeah. You, how do you think so many restaurants are opened on American military bases? <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, was was there anything, any other good news out of CPAC? I, I barely I barely covered. It. I mean, there's Victor Orban. Just I guess being like, it was the only thing I heard of was Orban. Yeah, uh, and he was he was just spitting. It, it, it's very disheartening, honestly, because people want him to be this figure who has synthesized all of the contradictions out there in Hungary. He's he's bringing you this like purified, you know, sort of a, 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 maybe even pre-capitalist conception of like citizenship in the state, and then he just comes to Texas and he's like. Waving a fucking ten gallon hat around and being like, no, no, no pronouns in Budapest, and you realize like, oh, it, it, it's all just revolves around the shitty brain destroying axis of like American politics, and it's all just a reflection of that and downstream of that, and and it can't have any independent force, even if you wanted it to. Uh, Victor Orban, though, uh, a somewhat portly gentleman. I mean, he He's was boy. he was chugging beer and gnawing pork knuckles. He the, was shirtless. The splendid amusement. Of all the all the, the entire crowd, <laughs> Rod, Rod we're, we're grinning, clapping, clapping. His hands. He sucks so much, Orban. I watched <laughs> Orban that speech, sucks. and he's like, "We need more Chuck Norris." It's like you should kill yourself. <laughs> you fucking <laughs> he suck, did so dude. Yeah. He yeah. didn't say that. I forgot about that. He, he did, did say that. A joke. It's like, loser. This, is, this is just embarrassing. Like you have come and bent the knee completely. Like you don't think you're global homo talking about Chuck Norris? Yeah, <laughs> Walker yeah. said I have AIDS, Victor Orban. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like that's the West you're defending. Yep. You should die or convert uh, yeah. to Islam. Yep. And right then, now. And then, yes, and then his, like his his visionary uh, his visionary like uh, socio political model is just a pop uh, like a pseudo populist dispersal of EU subsidies. That's it. Just yeah. like grabbing the spigot of like German perverts throwing money around. And just giving it to selected uh, supporters. Yeah, being Wonderful. a NATO member and like being against Russia, getting like German banking surplus, and then every three years like passing a referendum that's like uh, two men can't go to IKEA together. Yeah, <laughs> like it's it's like a, it, watching guys like Dreyer like go. This is what I want. It's like yeah, yeah you want the full full uh, uh, suspension of politics and its replacement with just a pure, uh, li- just a pure ego soothing spectacle of your enemies being uh embarrassed and humiliated by the state that's it well, that's what we all that's want that's all you want that's there's nothing want. you're not Everyone's building anything you're not making it so that people can live lives of dignity you're seeing your enemies humbled and yeah that's all we have left to offer anybody that's all oh, anybody, speaking of, um, any political formation that can actually like significantly challenge for power that's all that they can offer speaking of shaming your uh your enemies uh did you see like a, one of the, an interesting like news digression that came out of the mar-a-lago raid is the revelation that the Twitter account based Mike Lee is just Mike Lee? Utah, man. <laughs> God. <laughs> fucking Utah. Based Mike God. Lee. What a fucking shitty moment in culture. <laughs> the Mormons, they all end up getting the memes. They get, they get there eventually, but it's just too late to do any good. For they anyone. should take the priesthood away from him for that. Yeah, no, he should be, he should be cast. He, should, out. he is no longer a priesthood holder. Oh, yeah, he embarrassing. Is not, yeah. That is, that's too much cringe. Only blood atonement can answer for that kind of cringe. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they should exile him to Mexico. Yes, he yes, should have to live with Romney. one of those evil families. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, uh, speaking of uh, other of other based populists, um, I wanted to. 
Just checking real quick on the uh, the teal backed candidates in the, in this midterm. Yes, we got, yes, we got the JD radical Vance and uh, Blake the, Masters. The post liberal uh, wave that's about and, to like, crest the, here. The thing is, like uh, JD Vance is down by a couple points, but I think he may still win. I mean, he could probably. Yeah, I'd yeah, like, say that's it's a coin that's a good Ohio, however, a toss, no matter what. However, Blake Masters is down by destroyed. 13 points to the astronaut guy. No, the thing is that Arizona is, is essentially, it, it's, 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 it is a cycle or two behind Virginia in terms of turning blue. It, it's, it's, he's fucked. He's, co- he's cooked. And honestly, Christian Cinema is going to get defeated in a primary probably in that fucking state yeah. at this point. Well, I mean, like, so Mark Kelly was an astronaut and Blake Masters... I was under the impression, I just assumed that Blake Masters was like a venture capitalist or yeah, something like that. Too. No, he spent his entire adult life, his entire professional life before this point, writing essays about how nice Peter Thiel was. Yes. He is what a, a literal loser. He is a literal courtier. He is, he is a, he's, he's like, I. Felix, guy, I, so I was guy, shocked to find this out too. I, I like because he he wrote a book called like you know zero to one. That's like the gospel of startups with Peter Thiel, and I'd assumed that like he been a startup entrepreneur guy but no like he got his start this is true he got his start he took peter thiel's class at stanford and then started publishing his the notes he took during peter thiel's lecture on a blog spot and then he oh. and then he became like he became the official courtier the official kind of like court scribe of peter thiel and yeah like now he's now he's running for senate and i i, I thought i I thought he was a business genius. I mean, it's very fitting because, like, this whole Teal project is this fantasy LARPing neo feudal concept where we're going to bring back aristocracy, but like affirmed by uh, the algorithm instead of, you know, uh, a Christian God. Uh, but that does mean you get a situation where the guy running as the salt of the earth populist in Arizona is the modern day equivalent of a dude wearing a white face paint with a fucking beauty mark and, and giant frilly outfit pantaloons and a, and a big powdered wig and, and sitting there with a glass of sherry talking about uh the, the king's mistress all day that's him that's his job he's a fancy lad he's a professional flatterer oh i i was i'm sort of like surprised by this stuff because i thought you know uh the the based populism of jd vance and and you know the, the peter teal peter teal and company jd vance blake masters I thought that like they were kind of attuned to the frequency of the vibe shift, which is a little bit weird and a little bit gay. And the problem is, though, I think it's coming out that both of them are a little too weird and a little too gay. It's true. They're, they're ahead of the curve. I mean, it's the same thing that happened with the Tea Party. And you could argue that in the long run, it's a sacrifice you make, is that you build, you, get, you create this social dynamic that, that creates a, uh, a push of like new candidates into the system. And some of them are going to be too far ahead of their skis for the moment. Like Republicans cost themselves the midterms in 20 or the Senate in 2020 or 2010 because of that. People who are too much for their areas like Christine uh, O'Donnell. And I think this new whatever formation they're doing, if it's ability to like uh, influence candidates because of its ability to influence the Internet and Trump specifically uh, is in the same situation where you've got people who are just too you know, it, it's too early. Maybe it never happens. And I honestly kind of think this is a mirage in a way that the Tea Party wasn't because it just can't. I, I don't see it materializing outside of the Internet. And at some point it kind of has to. Uh, but, you know, who knows? We'll see. I did also like the other moment from the other week where uh, Trump endorsed Eric in Missouri. <laughs> that was and, and Eric won. Wow. 
It was the guy who won was not the alleged rapist. The rapist. No, no, okay, okay, okay. Oh, wow. I'm honestly a little surprised by that. <laughs> I was very surprised that the most evil guy they could find <laughs> didn't win. I thought that I was, was legitimate. Like and I think, honestly, the fact that I think what Greitens was, was banking on that Trump endorsement at the end. And then he and then when he split it, it was kind of it was done for him. But of course, he groveled afterwards and thanked him anyway. Yeah, I don't. So the based populist thing, it's hard for me to see it as anything but like college graduate Republicans yep. who are embarrassed by being part of the Correct. hamburger guys movement. Yep. That's exactly. what all this DeSantis shit is. Yep. It is. DeSantis uh, is too... like not really a national figure, but all these guys are embarrassed uh, about being part of the Trump thing. Yep. Because they it, have intellectual pretensions. Yeah, no, it, it's the same reason that like slightly younger people who weren't like quite ready to be Bernie people were Warren voters. Yep. It's the same thing. They're embarrassed by being like, you know, the, you know, Slay Hillary or fucking Mark Warner people. You know, we know that we know Obama like fucked up. He fucked up. He didn't do these things on purpose. Uh, we need something looking forward. That's Elizabeth Warren. It's the same fucking thing. Yeah. It's a completely marginal constituency. Yep. And it will never get play outside the fucking internet, except yeah. in a few races. Yeah, because yes, it's it's a fully self-contained uh, demographic uh, of uh, of by people who, by their definition, can never uh, uh, become fully influential. Because it's this fragment of yes, college-educated Republicans who uh, who are like wired into politics uh, at the at the at the intellectual level. And yeah, just like with Democrats, that's always going to be a very small, self-flattering group disproportionately influential in media meta discourse, but uh, fundamentally incapable of like reaching any critical mass of voters. If there's some surge of fucking youth reaction, why does church attendance drop like yeah. 10 points every five years? Yeah. How come it doesn't go up ever? Yeah. How come Catholic <laughs> church attendance just fucking plummets and plummets yeah. and plummets? Yeah. No, it's just, it's literally that like someone, there's a guy who like, you know, wants there to be a monarchy and he saw a bunch of groipers yeah. and he's like, oh, there's a surge of youth reaction. What matters is, is that you've got a rich guy willing to fund a scene and that's it. Like money is, money is the center of gravity that everything revolves around. Uh, that's where the light of the media is reflected by concentrations of capital moving around and like giving it to people who are going to have to have parties that people can attend and write about and, and, and produce products and, just have a rolling uh, occasions gives you a sense, a pseudo reality of a community. See, the thing I think, I think the thing that's crucial to understand is there are elves and there are hobbits. That's true. But <laughs> yes. among the elves, there are two kinds of elves. There are high elves and then, buddy, there's some dark elves. And every and it, time the high <laughs> elves want to have a good time, those dark ass elves come in and ruin it for everybody. The dark elves have got to go. <laughs> Grand Shire opening, Grand Shire closing. Uh, all right, well. Uh, for the uh, reading series for today, let's talk about The Office. Let's talk about The Office, the TV show. Let's talk about The Office as a kind of um, fading relic of a, of a dying culture in America, office culture. Uh, I bring this up because, I don't know if you saw this earlier this week, um, one of my favorite authors, uh, Malcolm Gladwell, he recently came out and said that you know, work from home is essentially killing American society and it's just, it's reducing your life to kind of like meaninglessness and you don't feel part of a team anymore. You don't feel like you're contributing to anything anymore, which, you know, uh, I can imagine 
sort of like, you know, going to an office, like if you're feeling a part of something, feeling like you're working for other people, I think is important in some way uh, to having a meaningful life. Most office jobs, even if you're in an office, certainly don't feel that way. And, you know, if Malcolm Gladwell had a two hour commute to work, to and from work every day, I don't think he'd be, I don't think he'd be thinking about this. And also was it a, a Chewy Dog also pointed out he was the one defending Jeffrey Tubin for jacking off on a Zoom call. So, I mean, he's like, please, jack off in the office bathroom. That's what they're there for. I feel like we never got to the bottom of that fully. Like, did he think the call had ended? I think he did. That's no, what I he think said he was anyway. just bored. That's interesting. See, that's, I think... Did you think that's his? I think he had a billion tabs open, and one of them was the Zoom call, and, like, <laughs> David Remnick was droning on, and the other one was, like, you know, uh, like, Brazzers. There's chocolate and strawberry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or no, Angela and strawberry. God damn it. I'm forgetting my references. No, Jeffrey Tubin's Angela and strawberry was the most softcore, softcore. Yeah, maybe time. that's what he likes. Maybe that's what they all like. Maybe all the media guys love softcore. <laughs> they yeah. like girl on girl. Yeah. I like Shannon Tweed scenes with socks, soft sacks. <laughs> red shoe diaries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he had uh, red shoe diaries open. But um, Malcolm Gladwell, he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of boring. Don't really care about him. However, Peggy Noonan, my Noonan girl. Noonan came through with a Wall Street Journal opinion piece about um, headline, the lonely office is bad for America. Employees may like remote work, but it tends to break down both organizational and national culture. So uh, I, I, I did a joke in Portland about how like, they need to start shanghaiing and gang-pressing people into barista and bartender service. But with this work-from-home stuff, eventually they're going to have to start strapping on the bayonets and just poking people back into the office because you know as peggy said employees like it but it's breaking down organizational and national culture so and also have that. and also leading all these commercial leases to just be like well see that's there, the yeah thing. that's the actual thing that's yeah. undergirding all of this is that is that america at the end of the day is a real estate scam and a big part of that is is Offices. is office retail downtown space and the economies that are created by it and that's what generates the value of of the residential properties around that and you can't remove that jenga piece without the whole thing falling over so all this is all backfilled from there and trying to like so that's why you get these hilarious attempts to just like free associate any defense of the office to justify that well uh, uh what about jim and pam you like that right <laughs> well you want to talk about free association Pe- the, the gal peggy noonan is a, is a god of free association she is she is pure vibes. And, you know, like, I used to hate Peggy Noonan, but now I kind of like her because she's like, she's just, you know, she's barred she's up. She's out there. Out. She's, she's just, spitting. She's just spitting. She's just, just sort of jazz. She's just free-forming, bebopping, and scatting. So I kind of like Percocet Peggy. <laughs> so uh, the, the Peggy's article begins, where are we in the office wars? I think there's an armistice between the return to the office side and the work from home forces. Perhaps hostilities will resume in the fall. Bosses are hoping the old reality will snap back as the drama of 2020 through 2022 recedes, that people will start to feel they need to come back or can be made to. The work-from-home people are dug in, believing they're on the winning side, that the transformation of work in America, which had been going remote for years, was simply sped up and finalized by the pandemic. In this tight job market, they have the upper hand. Employers are fighting for talent. Fire me, I'll get a better job tomorrow, and you'll get 50 hours with HR onboarding my replacement. The balance of power will change if the slowing economy leads to layoffs and hiring freezes. Fingers yeah. crossed. If that happens. Fingers crossed. If that happens. Oh, gee, I wonder if they're going to make that happen or not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, uh, well, you know, what, once you could say like the, the two sides of this fight are not stay at work from home people or work from the office people. It's um, employees and employers. Right, yeah. <laughs> I wonder who's going to get the upper hand. Uh, she says, the benefits, from, uh, benefits of working from home are obvious. Freedom, no commute. 
It's easier to be there for family, the dog, the dentist appointment. Less time wasted in goofy office-wide meetings. I wonder if there is another aspect, that office life was demystified by what began in the years before the pandemic. The rise of HR complaints and accusations of bullying, bad language, and sexual misconduct. Add arguments over masks and vaccines, and maybe office life came to be seen less as a healthy culture you could be part of, and more like a battlefield you wanted to avoid. Peggy Noonan believes that the the findicycle office culture of America was was a place of great mystery. <laughs> like that there was a sort of a mystic tenor to it yeah, that was yeah. like slowly like desacralized over time. She said it was like, you know, it became less of a healthy culture you could be a part of and more like a battlefield you wanted to avoid. I mean, if there's one thing the pandemic has permanently altered about American life is that nobody likes going to the office anymore. No one likes getting up on Monday nobody and going to the going office. To nobody wants to work anymore, folks. Arguments against working from home are largely intangible, and I focus on these. They are less personal, more national, and societal. I don't want to see office life in America end. The decline in office life is going to have an impact on the general atmosphere of the country. There is something demoralizing about all the empty offices, something post-greatness about them. <laughs> and almost all the, all the almost empty buildings in downtowns, it feels too much like a metaphor for decline. My mind goes first to the young. Of course it does. Peggy is always <laughs> has her fingers on the pulse of the youth. I don't uh, know. Maybe maybe the center maybe the, the, the center business districts of giant metropolises shutting down isn't really a metaphor for decline. Maybe it just is decline, you know. Just like the actual thing itself. Uh, my mind goes first to the young. People starting out need offices to learn a profession, to make friends, meet colleagues, find romantic partners and mates. The Me Too movement did a lot of damage mentoring. Uh, the Me Too movement did a lot of damage to mentoring. Senior employees no longer wanted to take the chance. But the end of office life would pretty much do away with it. I like the idea Me Too, <laughs> Me Too did, a lot, did a lot of damage to the mentoring system in America. Uh, uh, that ancient Greek tradition. Yeah, it was like, it's like Plato, except if uh, instead of you know, uh, Aristotle or whatever, it was a hot young woman. Yeah. They're doing fraudage. <laughs> Look, it's, it's, I'm just putting my dick between your thighs. There's no penetration yeah, it's involved. Fine. It's, it's fine. It's normal. Um, there will be less knowledge of the workplace, of what's going on, of the sense that you're part of a burbling ecosystem. I love to be there in a will burbling be, I mean, ecosystem. I mean, like, I, I feel like, the, like Malcolm Gladwell, Peggy Noonan, like, the only people, like, who talk about office culture and being in the office like this are people who have the best jobs. Right, and who barely yeah. go to an office. <laughs> yeah. They aren't part of any burbling in, uh, system. Yeah, they, don't they show up once they, or twice they a week. Burble, they burble at a maximum four to, three four to five times a month. They burble weekly at the most. And the, le the last time they, like, they went to an office with the, ex like, with the expectation of going there like five or six times a week and being someone's employee, like having a boss they answer to, was literally like 47 years ago at this point. Yeah. yeah. Like, it might, may as well be a different country. Yeah, like, yeah. They're, remembering, they're remembering their times at the office, but they're actually remembering episodes of the Mary Tyler Moore show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember the day that, that, that the clown died, and we all had to not laugh. It was really something. And I guess, like, you know, like, what we're talking here, if people with email jobs. You know, yes. people like anyone who has an email job, your job doesn't need to have an office, really. Mm -hmm. And I can understand there are benefits to going to the office. There, there are, like, I'm not saying like it's totally ridiculous, these kind of intangible things about being face-to-face. -face. Like we are right now, you know, like over Zoom, sometimes a little, a little something, a little je ne sais quoi is lost. Uh, but I think like, you know, the, the benefits for a lot of people, like for instance, not having a commute, uh, being more productive and like, you know, being around your family are very real. But again, this only applies to email jobs. 
And the thing that I always remembered about working in an office or like any job with a real commute is that like you, you go there and you're getting paid only for the hours you're in the office. Like that's what your salary is, not for the commute. So that when you leave at the end of the day, you're just thinking like, okay, I got to get home now. And that's like another hour. And it's just this feeling of like, I will have, if I'm lucky, two hours to look at the good screen before I have to wake up and it just starts all over again. It's this feeling of like, your time is not your own. And if you're working at home, you could do work and work and home stuff at the same time because like the big joke about most office jobs is that there's like a maximum of about three hours of work to do of a day. If you were insanely productive and drilled down and took like three Adderall, you could do all your work and it would take probably three hours. Like to fill an eight-hour workday, most of the time it's just people pretending to look busy. But I mean, there is an insidiousness though to the work from home thing, which it's is very true. It, it makes your home your fucking office. Like it makes it 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 does demystify your home. Like that is actually a zone of mystery that has been demystified by the fact that now your like entire work life is integrated into it. Uh, I do think though that this pretty broad push among uh, employers and their mouthpieces to get people back into office certainly shows where capital what capital thinks of the revolutionary potential and the organizing potential of email workers in an office environment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because, like, you would think that they would welcome, oh, yeah, everyone, go to your homes. Perfect. You never see each other. You never talk to one another. This is ideal. You're never going to, like, discuss salary in the break room and give me a trouble. They clearly have weighed the, the risks, and it's like whatever we're costing, you know, the, uh, the sweet green down the road, uh, is worth more to the economy and to our numbers broadly than whether or not these people can get together and you know compare notes and their exploitation. Because at the end of the day, we don't think they're going to do anything about it. We think that they're going to be more comfortable or they're going to be more uh, grateful to have a job where they get to sit in an office and do emails yeah. than the alternative. And it's like, I can't blame anybody for, for assuming that. That's called, they're going to be burbling. They're going to burble. They're going to burble. What's the alternative folks? to burbling? Uh, just being like sort of like a like a still like sort of like a, like brackish pond. Yeah, you know, uh, there will, as Peggy says, there will, there will be fewer deep friendships, antagonisms, real and daily relationships. Work will seem without depth, flat as a Zoom screen, less human. Without offices, you'll lose a place to escape from your home life. I mean, that is true, actually. Like, I mean, like the the, the height of like American office culture, like Mad Men. Like, yeah. the office was just a place where you could cheat on your wife. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I think what she's doing is she's complaining about the real nature of work revealing itself yes. over time. It's like, oh, no. Which is flat. The ritual fantasies that yes. give this illusion of depth, illusion of friendship, illusion of life and texture that are actually just this hologram on top of a dreary process of labor exploitation. Oh, no, all of the glamour is going away. What's going to be left? And I think that's what a lot of these people at the end of the day are freaking out about is that a lot of the glamours, a lot of the ritualized uh, 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 veils and screens that have gotten between us and the, like, the real nature of our uh, relationship to each other and to uh, capital and technology are being torn up, and they don't like that. They do not want people to see beyond that curtain. Now, you could argue it doesn't matter. We're too gone to do anything with this knowledge, but you know, these are people who have spent their entire life thinking that the shaping of a common beliefs and the shaping of public opinion is a worthy and meaningful goal. And so they're going to keep trying to do it. They're going to keep trying to, to, to insist that you pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. My guess is the end of the office will lead to a decline in professionalism across the oh, board. Oh, no, not professionalism. <laughs> you learn things in the hall from the old veteran. You understand she's watching your progress. You want to come through with your excellence 
with her down the hall, who will you be excellent for? She's talking about herself. <laughs> Once again, yes. Like, who will be excellent for Peggy? All I just these people love, like, I, are describing growing up in office environments when there was a, the sky was the limit. Yeah. They all were last in offices when everyone in them believed in a ladder of success that they were all part they, all part of. When they were paying like a freelancer like ten thousand yes. dollars a word to like <laughs> go see a movie or something. These people lived without any sense of of constraint. They, an assumption that every step would be a step up. I love the idea. Nobody of, working in an office now has that. I love the idea of like Peggy's career. Is just at every point excellence was encouraged. Yeah, absolutely. Like when she was That's sorting, why we got her when she was, golden froze. When she was sorting Reagan's jelly beans for him or turning in columns. My favorite Peggy Newton column of all time was about how Alien Gonzalez was aided by dolphins. dolphins coming yep. to Miami, which were angels. Yep, the she, angel dolphins. Alien Gonzalez was saved by angel dolphins. It would have been so much funnier if the, uh, if the feds had like gotten a, a dolphin in tactical gear to take him out of his <laughs> mom's house. <laughs> send him back to Cuba. <laughs> like they just strap a carabiner on him, yeah. put him to the put him in the dolphin, just throw him in the throw him in fucking Biscayne yeah. Bay. Yeah. Just goes right back to Cuba, yeah. just dragging him the, the whole dolphin way. Give it the dolphin, take it away. <laughs> Day of the dolphin. Yep. Uh, Peggy continues. Uh, there will likely in each company and organization be a decline in a sense of mission. Oh no! A diluting of company spirit looks to me inevitable. Again, all of this is a consequence of the lack of any belief in a project. No, why are you going to believe in a company that is just sh shrinking down your life every day? Spirit, mission. They come from people and are established and imparted through being together, sharing a particular space, <laughs> talking to each other spontaneously and privately, encouraging and correcting. Well, I mean, I know she's going to get into television in this column, but like, let's talk about the decline in office culture and, and, and sort of uh, esprit de corps and camaraderie and professionalism. There's no more water cooler shows on TV. True. Streaming has done away with that. Everyone's once, once Gambo everything. was over and no one's talking about the show come Monday. Everybody watches Everyone's all watching the shows their own discrete little like and uh, their own timetables. So no one has one collective experience. Gambo like, is the last one. No, no, no. It's like exactly. Everyone comes to office on the Monday and they were either watching uh, male-centered lean-in shows yep. or female-centered kind of lean-back shows. Yeah. And now they're all watching different bullshit yeah. at a different time. And then they go online to try to find people who are watching it at the same time and talk to them instead. At some point in the 20th century, America invented big-scale office life. We were the envy of the world for it. Really, weren't we? <laughs> like the guys in Spain who worked like two hours a yeah. week and shit. Yeah, um, they were just were they, like, were they envious of American yeah. office culture? Yeah. <laughs> Some guy who's like literally, he's, he's floating in a giant tub of paella. Yeah, uh, his four-hour office break from his job. Yeah, I mean, like, again, oh, if only I could be talking to Roger in accounts receivable. <laughs> I mean, again, this like only makes sense if, like, yeah, you were last in an office forty-five years ago, yep. and your memories are mixed with TV. Yep. Like, no, like, what, what office in America is like the envy yep. of anyone? Like, anyone in a developed country? <laughs> yep. Like, uh, but yeah. like, right? It's like, but you can't. You can't address the, the the decline since then. It's just we just we lost faith in the office. That's it. Yeah, yeah. It was nothing else happened. Nothing happened to general American life or work in an office or anything else. We just lost our faith in the office as a concept. Yeah, the office because of the avocado toast. The yeah. <laughs> um, it says uh, we were the envy of the world for it. 
Without it, there will be less bubbling creativity. Less about, of, wait a minute. So we got bubbling creativity ever to burbling, burbling ecosystem? ecosystems. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Well, what is this, is, an aquarium? She is talking about her brain. She is rolling face right <laughs> yeah. now. Yeah. I, I, I think she's she is all three, three weird sisters from Macbeth. She's talking about the fucking bubbling boil. Uh, yeah, no, she's like, she's just like, uh, without it, there'll be, there won't be any burbling ecosystems. No bubbling. There won't be any bubbling creativity. No toil, and there won't no be trouble. that one really good, like, office couch that you just rub your hand in and put your <laughs> face on and you're, like, melt into it. Um, it says here, yes, less of the chance of meeting in the hall and, and the offhand comment that results in brains sparking off brains. I love to get brains. <laughs> I love to get a brain to spark when off another brain. When did ever experience that? Like, <laughs> what, talk, talk, talking talk to, to fucking Richard Cohen in the halls yeah. of the fucking Washington Post or something? Yeah, just like in 1993, like talking to some other fucking crackhead <laughs> <laughs> being like, oh, we should we should call this the, the lunchbox election. <laughs> <laughs> If I had run into Steve uh, at the water cooler, I wouldn't have been able to uh, put out this column about how airports aren't nice anymore. <laughs> the fucking crackhead. Like it, it, the implicit thing here is that her work is like it's just like a supernova of creativity <laughs> yeah. over all these years. All the all this shit that's like you know, um, de Demo Democrats have um, they have a um, a handshake gap. <laughs> this exactly, stupid bullshit. That is exactly a Peggy Noonan column. Yeah, yeah. I, I guarantee you, she has written a column like <laughs> yep. that. But it never would have happened if it wasn't those just minds just smashing off each other like the Large Hadron Collider. Yeah, just minds colliding at sublight speed and creating new particles of oh mind of mind pills. I, I should count the different. Uh, yard signs there are for the election coming up <laughs> and decide who's going to win based on that. I, th I think I need like a deficit of human contact and like and, and like I would need to be in solitary confinement doing Xanax to match your output. Yeah, that's amazing. To like write that bullshit. Yeah. Companies may seem more communal in a way. Zoom screens aren't explicitly hierarchical, but there will be less clarity and less leadership. Jamie Dimon of J.P. Morgan Chase, who has said he wants people back in the office and experienced pushback for it, just stated in his annual report that people with ambition cannot lead from behind a desk or in front of a screen. It is possible working at home is. Don't they have desks at the office though? Well, even you can't lead. For, you can't be behind the desk all day. Sometimes you have to be in the in the in playing grab ass in the hallways, <laughs> and talking about talking about gambo. Seems all that, honestly though, if you can't lead from behind a desk, it seems like it's a bad idea to have desks in the office at all. Well, they're like, going to get rid of those. Yeah, you got to get rid of them. Standing just, standing only. It's just like no no more even open space office. It'll just be like one big factory floor with nothing in it, and you have to like sort of be on your phone. No, that's not, <laughs> that's, that's, that's too yeah. grim. They got to do a fake thing to make it seem whimsical. A uh, ball pit. Ball pit. Just a giant ball pit. You sit in the on among the balls. And then like if you need to look at a paper or write on your laptop, it's balanced on top of the balls. It is possible working at home is changing the nature of professional ambition. A piece last month in the journal by the Calumbra sorry. A piece last month in uh, Munch. A piece last month in the journal by Callum Borchers okay. <laughs> cited Johnson & Johnson CEO, cited, John, cited Jonathan Johnson, CEO of Overstock.com. To foster a sense of togetherness and shared mission, he invited everyone on staff to join him for lunch every Tuesday at the company's Midvale, Utah headquarters. In eight, month, in eight months, a total of 10 people attended. Most of the time, I eat my peanut butter sandwich alone, Mr. Johnson told Mr. Borchers. When I was 25, if I had a chance to eat my sandwich with the 
the CEO, I'd have been there. This motherfucker is eating a peanut butter sandwich every day. What do you? A, he's a Warren what Buffett sick. <laughs> he's a Warren Buffett guy. Yeah, yeah the sickest Ugh. of the sickos. Yeah. Ugh. But again, when you were twenty five, if like your drunk as shit boss like takes a shine to you, like if you laughed at his Polak joke, he's like, "Hey, you want to be in charge of the new Asian division?" <laughs> yeah. And then that happens. What is going to happen from this conversation? You're going to give him some fucking homestun bullshit from Dale Carnegie or something you read in like Seven Habits of Highly Effective People and then forget his name the minute he leaves? It's also like presumably the company you were working at was like out on the up and up. This is Overstock.com. This is like a company that's been in a death spiral for 15 years. This is a company that's only been kept alive by like low interest rates. <laughs> During the Trump years, that actually would have been a, a smart... Uh, financial position to just short any company where any high level official or high any high level executive had a personal relationship with Donald Trump. Ooh, like anybody who was in the inner circle, it's like that's just that is an absolute. That's it, it's a time bomb. Like my pillow, done for. All right, here's the home stretch. Here, we're pro ambition in this space. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Wait a minute. What space? <laughs> in in the Her mind in the, palace. In the, in the burbling space. In the mind palace that we're trapped in. Pe Peggy's burbling brain. In, uh, we're basically in the cell. She's Vincent D'Onofrio, <laughs> and we're trapped in her burbling, her burbling ecosystem. We're pro-ambition in this space. God gave you gifts. Bring them fruitfully into the world. Rise and make things better. Then again, maybe this age is making people ambitious for different things. Here are my two greatest concerns. The first is that in my lifetime, the office is where America happened each day. That's why many of our most popular TV programs there were we about come. the this office. Is the good shit. From the Mary Tyler Moore show, yes. through Mad Men, yes. through, from ER, through 30 Rock, and there Parks and Recreation. Okay, ER wasn't really an office. It was a, it was a hospital. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's like a, it's a professional workplace setting, but it's, you're not doing emails unless you're an administrator. No, no, like, and, if, the, and the if, doctors if, on ER were ER, saving lives. If ER, is, if ER is an office show, then so is Law and Order. It just yeah. doesn't work. Uh, from ER through 30 Rock and Parks and Recreations. You can name others. Even MASH was a show about the workplace. No, no. A workplace, <laughs> again, not, a war. not an office. Yeah. A fucking construction site is a workplace. It's not an office. And, of course, the office. Mm. Without Dunder Mifflin, how would Jim and Pam have met? How could the utterly ridiculous Michael Scott have entered your sympathies without seeing him every day and knowing him? She, okay, so like she she just thinks TV is real. Yeah, <laughs> she, like she is. She thinks we brought these. These are people are tulpas that we brought to mind <laughs> psychically and gave horrible life to, and then we are now invested in. And if we stop going to the office, they'll disappear like Tinkerbell. God, this is the kind of mind content you can only get by sparking off other minds in the office. Uh, the primary location of daily integration in America, the coming together of all ages, religions, ethnicities, and political tendencies, all colors, classes, and condition, has been during the past century the office. Uh, no, it hasn't. That's a wild. <laughs> no, that's a wild thing to say. Completely shit. <laughs> I like, mean, it's another oh, one like, of those yeah. deals where it's insanely wrong. But when you consider the audience, the assumed audience for her content, then it's basically correct. It, like that is the center of the gravity of American life as these people understand it. It's where you learn to negotiate relationships with people very different from you. Where you discover Not that different. You're all in an office. You're all wearing suits and ties. You've all gone through the same general rituals of social I mean, values and, and behaviors and expectations. I mean, like you do. I mean, it's true. It's a homogenizing space. Working any job or working an office job is about 
negotiating a relationship with someone very different from you, i.e. someone who owns the company or makes a lot more money than yeah, you do. Right. You negotiate your relationship with them every day based on uh, how much they're willing to give you for giving every, pretty much ev- most of the time that you're awake in this life that you have, uh, making money for them. But what about Michael Scott? Well, I mean, he's sort of like, he started out as sort of a, sort, would- of, a, sort of a buffoon and kind of a, an evil, malevolent force, but then like he just... He melted all our hearts. God, the, the way the arc of that show is so hilarious. The way that they go, hey, the, the joke of this show is that Michael is awful and crosses boundaries, and it's a nightmare to be around him. And then by the end of it, it's like, you know what? He really was the best you know, boss in the world. Like, you know, the show you know, literally got Stockholm syndrome. The, I would say that the, the the office is not the primary location of daily integration in America. It's the primary location of chosen family in America. It's true, and, fe- true. and friendsgivings. He, she should have talked about Friendsgivings. I bet they've taken a hit now. Uh, it's where you learn to negotiate relationships with people very different from you. I mean, like, what was the, like, huge diversity in the Wall Street Journal uh, yeah, opinion no, page? they're not that different. Yeah. You discern all this in the joke, the aside, the shared confidence, the rolled eyes. And with all this variety, you manage to come together in a shared formal mission. Get that account. Sell that property. Get the story. Process those claims. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like again, you like can if you feel the heroism you work, just zigging through your fucking veins. It, like, yeah, with the if prospect. you if you work for like a, a major newspaper, right? Like you know, there's like that all the presidents men thing. You can have there is this like you know like there's a, there's a glamorous notion and a cultural cachet to working in certain office fields, but I cannot processing those claims. Process the claims. <laughs> I seize the fire of Hephaestus. Daily life in America happened in the office. If it doesn't, where will America happen? Well, the, on the internet, Peggy. Exactly. The, on internet. the internet. The answer is the metaverse. We all know yes. that now. We all know what's happening, but you're too fucking old to get the hint. And this, here's your second biggest concern. My second worry. The end of the office will contribute to polarization. Oh, no, we can't have That's any the more worst of that. thing happening to America right now. We sure do. Got a lot Receding of that. Receding from office life will become another way of self-segregating. People will be exposed to less and in their downtime will burrow down into their sites, their groups, their online angers. Definitely not happening now. Not like every interaction with somebody from your out group now is just further motivation to become more fucking sectarian and hostile. I suppose what I fear is a more disembodied nation. You can see it on the TV news. Again, she's just watching TV again. Watching television. The The empty echoing set where there used to be people at desks in the background running around. You see it in big offices when you go to see an accountant or a travel agent. There is no there. A there. Travel agent. Who's going to see a travel agent in the last 30 years? <laughs> a travel agent. God. Throw is, that in there at the end. That's genius. This is like when Mr. Burns is checking in yep, on his yep. investments in Siam. <laughs> Am I too late for the 430 auto gyro to Prussia? <laughs> oh, God, that's so good disembodied isn't good oh. see peggy she really likes body hot she likes body feeling she doesn't like this she's, all indica. she's, she's, all about she's the in indica. an empty office on xanax and ketamine she starts disassociating yeah no good but if she's got a good body high she's in a meeting yep. jeffrey tubin's jacking off they're getting a <laughs> cuddle puddle started dude that that's connection yeah that's burbling she's, that's that's bodies and spaces yeah she's gonna take a trip down to her local office uh, lo- office park so she can uh Pick up a, a big block of ice to drag back to her house. <laughs> <laughs> Disembodied isn't good. This fall and winter, I hope we see the buildings full and the people going in and out. 
<laughs> this is like Richard Scarry's busy town. <laughs> she just wants to sit on one of the, you know those like uh, like carpets that they have for kids that like are like a bird's eye view of a town. She wants to sit on that, but yep. it's Washington D.C. and imagine people going yep. on out of little to buildings. See a little a little worm riding an apple. <laughs> uh, I want the center of our cities to hum and thrum again. Verbling, buzzing, thrumming, humming humming. and thrumming. She Folks, wants a great vibrating metropolis. She, she's like Walt Clyde Frazier. She's like, Downtown Manhattan is a uh, hoping and thrumming again after <laughs> stumbling and bumbling through COVID. <laughs> I don't want America to look like an Edward Hopper painting. Wait, who wouldn't want to be in an Edward Hopper painting? Yeah, it's, it's the, the cool. gothic sort of quality of it. You got a it. nice hat say, on. Yeah. You got a, a dignified stare. People yeah. wonder what's in your head. I, it's just, I don't. She wants to look like a Salvador Dali painting. The clocks are <laughs> melting again in, in Percocet Peggy's brain. Uh, he was the great artist of American loneliness. Wait a minute. He wrote. He made those paintings at the height of American office culture. It's true. So why 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 would he be expressing loneliness at a time when offices were bringing us all together, Peggy? <laughs> he was the great artist of American loneliness. Empty streets, tables for one, everyone at the bar drinking alone. We weren't meant to be a hopper painting. We were meant to be and work together. We were doing that when he made those paintings. <laughs> That means people were still lonely because we live isolated and alienated lives under capitalism, Peggy. There's no coat of paint you can put on it to fix it. It's a soul deep sickness. Oh, Peggy. Take another bar. You're fine. Yeah. So, yeah. I got to give her credit, though, for not trying to wedge in some bullshit action item or policy agenda. She just says, like, ah, Josh, sure, sure. I sure hope they show up again. I, <laughs> I sure hope I, I, could dry, I could be in my car, uh, my Uber, and I could go buy a fucking uh, uh, hail and hearty soup and see people out, out front waiting in well, line. I, I slightly disagree, Matt. I think the, the policy prescription was in there at the very beginning where she was like, I sure hope there isn't another recession. Oh, right. Yeah. That's what's yeah. going to be. Like, she's just crossing her fingers. Sure hope they don't raise those interest rates and you motherfuckers got to come back here and lose your jobs. Well, there we go. I hope, uh, I hope everyone uh, listening to this is... Um, burbling? Is burbling. I hope they're humming and thrumming in your office or home. Uh, that does it for today's show. Uh, happy birthday to me. Happy birthday to, to, the, to our boy, uh, our boy Will, Will Medeker. Is that it? Yeah, that's it. Well, congratulations on another great year. All right. Until next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. <laughs>